This is the Dungeon Master's Handbook. It's Michael, Chicago Wiz, and welcome to another episode of Dungeon Master's Handbook. Hope you all are enjoying the holiday season, which it is around here at this time, and uh, hope you have a happy new year. Kind of excited to see what 2023 is going to bring to me. I feel like, uh, so I was telling someone else the other day, I feel like creativity is coming back a little bit, little sparks. Uh, I, uh, blame both my continuing online game that I've been playing in my narrow world, my play-by-post game, which is reaching somewhat of a climax, if you will. Uh, The players have (laughs) worked hard over many years and lots of slowdowns and pauses to get to this point. And now that they're at some pretty big reveals, I have to hold myself back from just blurting it all out in one mega uh, post, but uh, they're they're slowly peeling things back, and there's a couple surprises left for them, and then after that, we'll see where they go. I might be talking about how to close a uh, campaign. Don't know. Anyway, uh, looking forward to 2023, and uh, one of the things that I'm looking forward to is the Dungeon 23 Challenge, which uh, I talked about in the last podcast. That is going very well. I couldn't help myself. I started early. Um, I'm up to day nine, I think it is. I have about 26 rooms on level one. And uh, it's shaping up to be a very interesting dungeon. I've tried to make sure that... uh, even though I, I've been using the random generators in the first edition Advanced Dungeons and Dragons uh, Dungeon Master's Handbook Appendix A, I've been using that a lot to guide the creation of the dungeon. I've been sticking in my own desires as well. Uh, I don't like linear dungeons. I like dungeons that have lots of secrets and one-way passages and doors and things that uh, just don't make sense. So, uh, and I think, uh, so far there's plenty of that in here. So we'll see what happens. Um, reason I'm pushing so hard is because in early January, I actually want to start running the thing. So my hope is, is to get enough of level one done and then, um, actually, uh, you know, start a group through it and to continue the dungeon 23 challenge throughout the year while running it every couple of weeks or so, seeing what turns up, how things shape out, and maybe uh, what the players do will shape uh, later levels, or at least what what the dungeon has in store for later levels. We'll see what happens there. I'm very excited, though. Um, To me, dungeons were made to be played, and um, I'm going to play this through. So, yeah, the spark of creativity is kind of kindling again after a two-year hiatus thanks to COVID. I'm feeling a little hope and a little, uh, it's a little more bright these days. I think, uh, I think it was needed. Anyway, 
biggest reason for this podcast was to talk about something I'm seeing as I'm going through the Dungeon 23 challenge. And it's this, it's something I've touched on before, um, and, and it continues to uh, be prevalent. And that's this concept of, am I doing it right? And I, I, I touched on this in a blog post where, um, you know, someone had come in and said, well, you know, I want to do this and that, and is this the right way? And, um, you know, oh, uh, it, was, it was about the idea that, you know, uh, monsters and everything should make sense and that, you know, things, things have to fit in. And, you know, that's fine. If that's what you want to do, if, if if you love the, you know, if you want to build the history of your your location and you kind of want to dive back or you want things to fit together like a puzzle piece, that perfectly makes sense. And, and I do that myself a lot. Um, but there's something to be said about breaking the rules or making up your own rules. And that's... That was a theme in Dungeons and Dragons early on, before Gary Gygax and uh, the other folks involved got a little too commercial. You know, in the last paragraph of the 1974 original Dungeons and Dragons uh, books, the last paragraph of the third book, basically he comes out and says, "Hey, you know." You can write to us for rules clarifications, but that's not what I'm intending here. My, my goal is that this is a framework, and if you want to have something a certain way, make it so. Think about what you want, and then make it happen. And the way that original Dungeons & Dragons was written was to indeed support that. Look, I mean, this came out of war gamers who were used to taking a set of rules, creating a scenario, and then within that scenario, creating rules specific to that scenario. You know, um, a, a lot of war gamers like to recreate historical events. Well, you can't have a set of war game rules that is perfectly tuned for each and every historical event. Um, what if you're fighting in the snow? What if you're fighting in the rain? What if you're fighting and for whatever reason this historical battle had a weapon that had never been seen before and was never seen again? Um, or what if you had a historical battle where there was a creative use of terrain that doesn't necessarily match the rules as written? Well, War gamers are used to looking at the rules and going, okay, I'm going to do X, Y, Z to make this fit and go on from there. Uh, very common, and uh, you know, that's kind of where house rules came from, was this idea of I want to have my game play a certain way, so I'm going to come up with my own rules. Usually something consistent. Usually something that, you know, kind of fit and wasn't necessarily crazy, you know, off off the rails, unless that's the kind of game you wanted to play. Um, and Gary originally brought that over into Dungeons & Dragons. I mean, if you look at the first two supplements 
Uh, the first supplement to original Dungeons & Dragons was written by Gary, and it was a reflection of his Greyhawk campaign. In fact, the supplement is called Greyhawk. Um, you know, and had all of his special rules and things, introduced thief skills, um, you know, introduced a lot of the iconic monsters that we see to this day, introduced certain classes and certain approaches that now, you know, uh, 40-odd years later, people take for granted. But back then, that was just Gary's campaign, you know? The, the idea was demonstrated in the second supplement, which was written by David Arneson, called Blackmore. And that was David Arneson's campaign rules. You know, he had a very different approach to how he ran Dungeons & Dragons. Um, not as obvious from the rules, although there were certain rules and certain things that he, you know, set up there in, in that supplement to show how he did things, but he wrote his own book called The First Fantasy Campaign, uh, released a little while later in the later 70s, very different, very detailed from what uh, Gary's Dungeons and Dragons were. I guess the, the whole thing is, is to say, you know, even early on, even the rules themselves showed that, hey, you can have different ways of doing this. You know, you've got um, MAR, Professor Barker's uh, uh, Empire of the Petal Throne. You've got uh, Arduin. You've got, uh, you know, Tunnels and Trolls, which wasn't, wasn't even a D&D game. It was a different game. But it had the same genesis. And I guess the point here is, is that inside the DNA of D&D, if you dig far enough is this concept of screw the rules, do it the way you want. But that got lost. That got lost in commercialization. That got lost in Gary's almost, I call it a 180, his about face to we are going to standardize AD&D and AD&D will be the rules to bind them all in darkness, you know, what have you, whatever. And everybody kind of hopped onto that. Oh, this is the official way to play. We're going to be like football now, um, American or international football, mind you. Um, we're going to have rules, and everybody's going to play by the same rules. And I think, <clears throat> at least my experience was, was for the most part, we all kind of took that as gospel. And, you know, yeah, there were differences between Holmes Basic and Advanced Dungeon Dragons and then the BX uh, rules that came out and then the Beckme rules that came out. But by and large, it was close to the same thing. And second edition was close to first edition. But I think you saw less and less encouragement for really changing the rules and kind of doing it your own way. You know, yes, you can have a horror campaign. Here are the Ravenloft rules. And it was still pitched as this is the way to do it. Um, you know, same thing for Spelljammer, uh, Planescape, uh, what have you, Dark Sun, um, all of those, you know, they gave these settings and, and yeah, they had some specific rules, but by and large, they all kind of followed the same drum. And I think the concept of do it your own way 
was something that was more encouraged at a grassroots level rather than the rules themselves saying, hey, you don't like it, you know, do it your own way. And I think we've seen that through the later iterations. You know, third edition tried to have a rule for every situation or to show you how to use a D20, but I I didn't see in my playing and reading of third edition rules where there was an encouragement of this is just a framework and go do it your own way. Same thing for fourth edition and even fifth edition. Now I know fifth edition comes out in 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 I'm going to make kind of a pejorative statement here. They pay lip service to that concept. And the reason I say that, though, is because, yes, 5th edition may say, look, you know, house rules are great. Go do house rules. But then they attempt to have a rule for every single thing. And I very rarely see any of the online discussions about house ruling and the support of... You don't have to do it this way. Um, I'll, I'll give you an example. And um, I'm, I'm sorry to pick on this person for this. Um, you know, they came out and they said, look, you know, for a trap, you know, I, I want to assign a, um, a DC level to a trap. And, but yet I, I want to, you know, somehow do it so that the players have a little bit more agency over how can they detect traps? I don't want to just have this compare um, a perception value for players versus the DC of the trap. And, you know, I kind of shared how I do things. And that is, um, you know, there is a base two and six chance that players can see traps. But that also is predicated on what the players do. You know, if they tell me, look, we're moving at a very slow pace, we've got torches up front, we're using 10-foot poles and all of that, Um, and, uh, you know, if we see a trap, we're all going to stop, or if we think we see a trap, well, then that's probably going to bump up their chances to maybe a 3 and 6, maybe even a 4 and 6, that, hey, look, you know, they're really really putting the, um, uh, the steps in place to avoid traps. So therefore, they have a better chance of seeing traps. You know, but this isn't something that happens automatic. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not going to assume that they do this and it's not built into some static level. It's built into the idea that their activities dictate this, not a value on the character sheet. And, you know, I shared this with that gentleman. They're like, well, yeah, you know, that's kind of the old way of doing it. But I like the fifth edition. Um, I like the fifth edition approach of, of, of you know, having these skills and, and having this stuff. And, you know, I get that. If you like having the rules kind of say, well, you know, we're going to, uh, you, know, you have to have these two values and this is how you combine them and so on. Great. But... I think that there's opportunities here to go beyond the rules and to say, look, you know, 
what do the players do above and beyond their character sheet that can influence the game? You know, if you look at an OD&D or AD&D character sheet, there's nothing that says, I'm better at seeing traps and here's the check marks to fill in before, you know, I have a three and six or four and six. The DM listens to what the players does and says, well, you know, being fair about it, you guys are really being cautious, so this trap has to be really super duper for you to not see it. You know, most traps you're going to be able to catch on to because you're being so careful. Now, there's a downside to that. You know, you're moving more slowly. There's more chances for wandering monsters, what have you, and so on. Um, I don't know if... And, and so, you know, I, I, I shared that, you know, hey, you know, that's fine that you want to do it that way. I think there's ways of incorporating these ideas. There is a middle ground of giving the players some ability to bypass skills, to bypass features, to be their character rather than be a function of the rules, rather than invoke a feat that allows me to, you know, increase my perception. Just get into your character's head. What would your character do? I... I don't know. To me, that presents a more immersive approach. And I, I think the rules, because they present all of these abilities as these mechanical constructs, it's a different approach to the rules. And so when you want to break the rules or you want to go beyond the rules, it's almost considered wrong. You know, what are you doing here? Just just create a feat for it. Well, I don't want a feature for using a 10-foot bowl. You know, I grab a 10-foot pole in my hand. How is that some sort of a class feat? Anyway, I hope I'm kind of explaining well enough what, what I'm trying to get at. I get the, you know, different generation, different approach. I like to encourage people to get beyond the mechanical constructs and think about what they're going to do. Now, at the end of the day, yes, you have to fit it into a game that has mechanics in it, you know? So at the end of the day, that's on me. You know, I I would rather do the hefty lifting of straddling the line between mechanics and player immersion and, you know, getting into what it is they're doing and let the players just worry about playing and having fun. And to me, that is what D&D is about. I wish the rules reflected that a little bit more. I, I think that there was an opportunity for 5th edition to push a basic set of the rules that truly was just the skeleton and allowed you to hang everything else from it. They kind of did that with the starter rules, um, I think that, and, and I could be misremembering here, and I'm sure you know folks will correct me, but I believe the starter set was kind of like the old basic game where you had like the first two or three levels spelled out. I wish that they had published something like that, but was less about the features and more about here's the skeleton of the thing and here's how you can make it your own. Maybe the next version of D&D will do that, but... That's the nice thing about Dungeons and Dragons. There's an, there's forty odd years, you know, of uh, coming close to fifty years of rules out there that truly 
you can, and, and with all the retro clones and all of the, you know, rules that are like D&D, if you want to investigate doing something like that, all you got to do is pick up a book somewhere that's a little bit different or a little bit older, and I think you might be able to see that DNA of making it your own. Anyway, that's enough rambling. I'm almost at work, so uh, I will close this podcast. Hopefully it wasn't lame. Uh, let me know what you think. Uh, drop me an email. Uh, leave an audio comment. I know uh, Anchor's made that a little bit harder. Sorry, guys. Um, if you know of a way to make it simpler, let me know. There's a phone number in my um, in my show notes if you want to call and leave a voicemail comment, and I can put that in an episode sometime. Anyway, uh, take care. Happy holidays if you celebrate it. Merry Christmas. Uh, happy Hanukkah. Uh, happy uh, Kwanzaa Um, be well and have a happy new year and game on